This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast, the podcast designed to help you if you've landed a leadership role through no fault of your own and now need to find out what you should be doing. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and have been there and know what it feels like and made all the mistakes. In each episode, I'll be getting to grips with a leadership topic by interviewing an expert in their field. You'll find out why they do what they do and take away some top tips you can use to become a more confident leader. For more content and to keep in touch with how the project is developing, go to www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. If you have any comments about the episode, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So let's crack on with the show. Today, I'm talking to Lisa Westbury. Lisa is a leadership and career coach, facilitator and team coach. She works with high potential women, career shifters, emerging leaders and teams across a wide range of creative and purpose-led sectors, from the media and growing businesses to the arts and not-for-profit. At the heart of her work is a desire to help others make a difference and do great work in the world. She helps leaders to be clear and grounded in what's important to them and more adaptable in how they respond to others and change. She supports teams to reach their potential by helping them to draw on their collective intelligence and by building their relationship skills. I hope you enjoy this chat we had about leading change and I'll catch you all on the other side. Lisa, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Hello, really delighted to be here. Of, we've known each other for a little while and um, we, well, we met, out, uh, it was Christmas Day, wasn't it? And we were talking about um, things and we came up with this idea about talking about change management or leading change. Mm. And here we are talking about it. So it's, um, mm. it's funny how these things come about. Um, but before we get stuck into the um, leading change bit, I think we should first of all ask you why you do what you do and um, what was the pivotal moment that started you down this path? Great. So, yeah, um, I'm a coach and facilitator and uh, do a bit of team coaching and training as well. And I guess like most coaches, what I love to do is to help grow the potential in others. I think that's what most of us would say we like doing. Um but for me, it's specifically around helping people who want to make a difference in the world to to do things better, to help people, um, even if it is actually just to do business in a better way. Those are the people that I really love to help and the teams that I really love to help. Um, and I think that probably comes from having a really strong value around making a difference myself. And um, as I discovered with my motivational map um, that you first introduced me to, um, that's a really important driver for me too. So I, I guess I get to have my cake and eat it um, in doing the work that I love. Um, and I, I think the pivotal moment for me was... Um, when I was working uh, in central government, um, I'd actually, through sort of having those sorts of strong values, I'd found myself uh, working in government for about 12 years, um, and specifically around um, staff engagement, change communications, um, organisational change. Um, and I'd been... I suppose I've been around the block quite a few times on those sorts of issues. There certainly was a lot of change going on in government at the time. Um, 
I, I just sort of reached this point where it was starting to feel like Groundhog Day. Um, <laughs> I was doing the same things. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was making a difference anymore. Um, I'd actually had a couple of sort of personal um, tragedies, I suppose, as sort of parts of life, two, two deaths um, in my family, very close to me. And I'd had a little girl by that point as well. I was just starting to think, you know, this this isn't worth it anymore. I'm commuting four hours a day. I'm working really, really hard and long hours. Um, I need to make a change myself. Um, and I was talking to somebody in my team who is a part-time coach, part-time um, communicator. And it just, it really strongly came to me that actually what I wanted to do was to become a coach. And she very sweetly gave me some recommendations of um, courses that I might enjoy. And I just went on one of those uh, taster weekends and that was it. I couldn't stop smiling. I knew I'd found what I really loved to do. And I knew that that's what I had been enjoying, that kind of coaching and helping my team. And that's what I needed to to get away and, and start doing as soon as I could. So that mm. was it for me. Retrained, spent years retraining and trying to, to get to a point where I felt like I could really offer a really high quality professional service. Um, but I've never looked back. Excellent. Um, so you were uh, sort of like some of us nudged in a direction, but also realized that it was the right thing eventually. Uh, and it, it takes sometimes a, a little while, doesn't it, for the penalty to, to drop that we need to make some changes. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. I think the thing with our, with our line of work is you don't start out as a coach, do you? I mean, you, that's not the sort of thing that you put on your um, career highlights or dreams when you're 18 years old. You, you, get a lot of experience and then you either do or you don't come to it later on in life yeah yeah I, th I think the majority of people that um, coach train mentor uh, have been through an experience that they want to help people uh, prevent happening or 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 just doing a different better, better way or quicker way or whatever so they they're inspired by um, the knowledge that they've gained from that experience and um, want to help that situation um, absolutely Good, excellent. So um, now we know what, more about you uh, and what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about leading change. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the first thing we should talk about is the reasons for change. And obviously those things can be, you know, there should be, can be lots of different reasons, can't there? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in my mind, there are two sort of key buckets around change how change can happen and, and I'm sure there's a lot of sort of gradations in between but I think essentially the there are the changes that you yearn for or you want and you're engaged in the ones that you've planned for perhaps um, the ones that really sort of meet with your own values and and the hopes that you have and then there are those that don't um, there are those that are imposed upon you that happen as a result of a crisis or some kind of external event, um, which creates a need for change, which might not be something that you want at all. And you might not be um, prepared for it. And it might come and like, slap you around the face like a wet fish, really. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, there can be a lot of fear on, in both camps, actually, you know, around change, because change is not one of 
the things that we as humans tend to love. Not not many of us anyway. Mm. Um, but it's a lot more difficult to lead change when it's that second category of things that happen that you need to to respond to um, and sort out. Mm. And those those sort of things can be can be uh, vary in in degree from you know technological uh, changes that um, have to come along. Well, they don't have to come along; they just um, they come along, don't they? Um, yeah. And obviously, there's um, demands from customers, clients, or the, whoever you're um, servicing, um, and yeah. you need to adjust to that. And obviously, also we've got to bear in mind, you know, the competition that comes along. Whether where, wherever we are, there's other people that are going to come and. Um, you know, take our clients or whatever it is that, again, yeah. we need to adapt and make sure that we, we can change to accommodate that. Yeah. And I think probably what's on people's minds a lot at the moment is is the environmental change what will happen um, with changing political circumstances and how that impacts us um, in terms of future business. Mm. So that's something we're, we're all grappling with at the moment. And so much uncertainty. Um and, and confusion around exactly what the picture will look like. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know, the political situation at the moment, you know, with with Brexit, we know how people react to that. People do not like, firstly, that might change, and secondly, they don't like uncertainty. And, and that's, mm. I think, that's the biggest thing about change, isn't it? It's uncertainty that uh, that um, everyone has to, you know, deal with. Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually one of the, the key qualities that I think you need as somebody leading change is to be able to be with uncertainty. Um, one of the toughest things for us as humans, but it, it, it really helps if you can learn to find ways of managing that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and obviously we're talking about leading change here, so we're leading mm. other people through a change mm. process. Mm. So so what what's the steps that you would... Uh, start thinking about when there is change on the horizon, if you're leading mm. um, people in a team or even just one or two people, I guess. It's the same thing, isn't it? It is. I think, um, first up, I'd really be making sure that you're communicating as soon as you can with people about change. I think one of the things that people feel they need to do is have the answers or have certainties um, and they worry about worrying other people. But actually, it's much worse for people if they suspect that something's going or they see something potentially on the horizon and they, they don't have any communication with you as a leader about what's going on and I think even if nothing's going on it's all you know one of the principles of of change communication is just communicate 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 Mm. it doesn't even matter if you haven't got anything to communicate it's really important just to start that discussion with people um, and to start to listen to to what their fears are and what their hopes are around the change that's absolutely critical yeah and and it's I, th- I suppose having communication channels that are open and and transparent as well, isn't it? I think, yes, that's absolutely true. Um, there are lots of different ways of listening and speaking to people. Um, I think what, you know, depending on the size of your organisation, you need to think about what's fit for purpose. Um, but having a, a couple of things written down very clearly can help, but it won't, 
really um, bring you that level of engagement to find out how people are feeling. So the face-to-face communication is absolutely critical. And even just having those, that sort of, let's have a lunch uh, from time to time to talk about things like this um, really enables you to find out what's below the surface of people's everyday working uh, concerns. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess a lot of this is actually involving other people, isn't it? And, and if we're a lead, we're leading a team, uh, I think some people might think that they, uh, because they're leading the team or managing the team, they have to make all the decisions. But actually, that's not really the f- best way to go about it. It's actually to involve the team as much as you can. And you know, obviously, you can't divulge, divulge everything, I guess. But it's about involving the team as much as you can, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's becoming more and more important, certainly when... Um, certainly when I was in government, that people were sort of coming round to to this idea that you really need to in, involve and engage people in change. It's not just about telling them about it and expecting, you know, everyone to say, oh, that's fine, well, we'll do that then. Um, because, you know, that's clearly not going to happen unless you're, you're mm. in the army where people just do as they're told. We don't have that kind of um, culture growing in organisations now. And that's certainly not the expectations of younger people. They expect to be consulted. They expect to have their ideas um, listened to, even if they're not taken up. Um, so, so having that kind of approach is critical. But I think the other part of it is just simply it's not possible to know everything as a leader. And this idea that we're superhuman superheroes that have the answer to everything and can sort everything out, um, it, it's expecting too much of ourselves as leaders. And it's frankly not, not um, enabling other people to offer what they can offer um, in terms of their strengths and skills and abilities um, and experiences. So there's a really strong reason for doing that. Mm. And obviously, there's uh, different behavioural styles that come into play, I guess. I suspect you've seen a lot of that in, in, in your um, experience. Yeah. I mean, are you thinking behavioural styles in terms of how people respond to change or in how leaders lead change? Um, both, really, I guess. Uh, both relevant, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think... Um, I think it's really good to know, to start with knowing your own response to change. Mm. Um, that kind of self-knowledge, I mean, that, that's kind of what we're working on always as coaches, isn't it? That self-awareness of what really terrifies me about change or what motivates me about change and what happens to me as a leader when I'm under stress. Because um, people tend to have sort of three sort of key responses under stress don't they they either sort of um become very sort of averse to making decisions and go and sort of seek out help from from other people around the organization anything 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 other than make a uh, make a decision or they can um become uh, you know quite aggressive and dictatorial under stress um or um they can just withdraw um that's the you know quite a common response and I sometimes see it in myself when I'm under stress is that sort of like 
you know, I just, I just need to get on with it. Don't bother me. And you just almost disappear as a person emotionally and become very unresponsive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have your own favorite one? Mark? Yeah, well, I, well, I was, I was going to say that uh, from my experience, I think that what I've learned is that we all have um, a, like a, a maximum decision-making um, quotient each day. And mm. I think we all get to a point where we, we don't want to make any more decisions. And I think and when you relate to when people come home from work, they almost mm. like to think, I've made enough decisions at work today. I don't want to make any more decisions. And I think we get this fatigue when it comes to decisions. Um, yeah. And I was a bit like that. I would make lots of decisions at work, but then come home and, you know, really object to having to make any more decisions, which then <laughs> causes cause a problem at home because you think, well, what's wrong with yeah. you? Um, yeah. and I think that's what I, I'm quite wary of is that when we are, the important thing here is there with change, there's going to be lots of decisions to make. If you can distribute that, that change, those decision-making as much as possible, then that relieves you as a leader uh, and, and it will help you you know, not just at work, it would help you when you're not at work as well. That's how yeah. I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And there's, um, I think there's something about being very clear about what you are going to make decisions about and what you're going to invite from other people, because that can be very stressful too for people when you invite their feedback and their ideas, but you're not clear about how you're going to make the final decision. And, you know, I think the temptation is now to be very consultative and say, yes, everyone, we'd like to hear your views and then absolutely do nothing with them or never feed back to people what, what it was you did do with them or say, actually, you know, we're not we're going to ask you about this, but we're not going to ask you about X, Y and Z because we need we actually have to be in control of those decisions. Yeah. So I think that's it's being it's really important to be clear with people. Um mm. So I think involving people, essentially, you know, there's um, there's that old Kubler-Ross change curve, isn't there? Are you familiar with the one that I'm uh, thinking not, about? Not personally, no, but so you better um, oh. explain what that is if we've got time. So, yeah, so this is, it's like a classic change curve, which you can just look it up on the internet. And um, this is the classic um response that people are supposed to have during any major change that I think is really sort of imposed at work or, or comes into work and um, what it what it shows is that for a while people are kind of in denial so their emotional response to it is is kind of pretty neither here nor there because they don't believe it's going to really happen and then as it slowly dawns on people that actually, yes, it is going to happen, um, their emotional state takes a bit of a nosedive. Um, they may uh, experience anger, resentment, resistance, and then over time, increasing fear, vulnerability. Um, and then the, the kind of the curve takes a bit of a nosedive right back down into, into sort of a bad place and that is where people can go and some people can spend quite a lot of time there and if if you've got that happening for an, uh, a long period of time then you can imagine what that must be like inside an organization your your sort of atmosphere is in a pretty bad state and I've certainly been in organizations when that's happened um 
And during that time, you really have to be there listening to people's concerns and giving people as much information, actually, as what they need at that point, um, and empathy um, and consideration. Um, but trying to get them involved in decisions may not be where they're ready to be, actually, at that point. Um, it's, you know, it's when the people start to sort of see that there might be a future and you can start to engage them in what, what better would look like or good would look like that they start to get back some sense of control and wanting to be involved and engaged in how that change happens mm. and then as as you start to do that then once people feel a bit more certain about their position how they can be involved in the change then then morale starts to creep up again um, and people will either feel more positive about the organization or they will leave it if they don't like the direction it's taking yeah, yeah, and I, I guess communicating the reason for the change, and also uh, making sure that that it's clear why not changing is is not an option, because you know, yeah. uh, you know, there is a threat of not changing, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, and, and making sure that that's clear, and that you know, staying the same isn't an option because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, we now know that we have to change, and this is how we this is where we want to be It's being clear about what the current situation is, what, why the change is needed, how it's going to happen and what we want the outcome to be. And yeah. it's being clear about what the outcome is so that then you can get people's input. If people aren't understanding what the outcome is or what we're actually moving towards, then it's very difficult for people to actually get involved and make, you know, have a contribution. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that you've really pointed to one of the, you know, the key traits that we hear about leaders needing to being be able to to give a clear vision for the future. Mm. And I think, you know, at some level, people can contribute to that vision um, as well. You know, when I was um, in the Home Office, one of the, the hardest things that happened to us in that organisation was we had a, a Home Secretary who came in and said that the organisation was not fit for purpose. Well, you can imagine how um, mm. 30,000 civil servants who thought they were making a difference felt about that at the time. But, you know, he had some very clear reasons for doing that. And he clearly wanted to, you know, to actually make it clear that it wasn't acceptable um, how things were being run at the time. Um, but one of the things that the, the board did at that point um, after communicating why we had to change and, you know, that there was a task force um, put in place to help make that happen was what, what they kind of said to staff was, well, what's the ambition that you as, as staff want to have in, in restoring our reputation? So they then asked staff to help develop a sort of ambition for the organisation. And because they involved them in that ambition, it was an ambition that was resonant um and that people could get behind um and that became a huge um a hugely positive force and getting get, getting some positive common purpose i suppose for making change happen right. so that can make a big difference as well you can involve mm. people in that sort of in that level of visioning yeah and I, and I guess as you start down the process it's important to to uh, recognize when milestones have, have been met that you know you that you are making progress as well yeah oh yeah absolutely and i think some people um need time to 
celebrate and reflect on where they come from um, and just notice that progress is happening. I mean, even at individual level, we see that when we're working with people, don't we? They, they need to know that it's not all just a relentless uphill struggle, that mm. you, you're continuously making progress along the way. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I suppose it's not typical. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, the Home Office with thirty thousand people. You know, that's <laughs> you know that's that's a massive change for, yeah. affecting a massive amount of people. Yeah. Um, but if we bring it back down to you know a small organisation that maybe only be a handful of people, mm. it's probably easier to communicate, maybe. But the, the, it's still the same principles, isn't it? It's about making sure that you are not taking anything for granted, making sure you're communicating, making sure that you're always coming back to the fact that we know why we're doing this. It's because of this, and this is where we're going to. It's, it's, it's yeah. constantly reiterating that that message, isn't it, I guess? Absolutely, and I don't think it, as you say, I don't think it really matters whether it's 30,000 or five people in an organisation. We all need that communication we all need to be listened to and heard and we all want our our position to be considered in any change and I think um, there's quite a helpful um, way of thinking about um, change both from an individual point of view and from a sort of staff point of view in thinking about how how changes do succeed um, there's this idea that um, change is a bit like um, going over an edge you know if you think of it being a bit like um a sort of mountain or a hillside um on this side of the of the um of the apex there's what's known um it might be really uncomfortable and horrible but you know it and it's safe and on the other side of um of the mountain of the mountain is what's unknown and for some people just not knowing is is awful and um and horrendous um and they're just going to stay right where they are we call those people the tradition holders because you know we've got mm. traditions and they're good and we um we need to stick with them why would we possibly go over that mountain it's perfectly good where we are and then there are of course the people who really love change and there aren't i don't know if you've got any figures on it but I'd, i'm not sure that they're the majority <laughs> um but there are some people who give them a change and they'll be like right yep let's go over the other side let's see what it's like i'm i'm all for it this is exciting and off they go mm. and then there are other people who are a bit more circumspect um in the middle who who might be prepared to be a bit of a path builder so if you convince them it's worth going for that change or that it's really needed they'll do a bit of an assessment and then they'll think about how they can make the road over the mountain and they, they may even bring some of your tradition holders um, with you and they'll strength test it and they'll make sure that all the plans are in place and you know they are the road builders for change and even in an organization of five people people i bet you you'll find a spread of traditionists um path builders and leapers mm -hmm. and you can probably recognize where those leapers usually are even from your own experience yeah well what i i seem to, seem to see is that people join organizations for a particular reason and they're a tip of, mm. they're a, a, you know um, a particular type of person motivated in a you know, particular way 
And as we know that certain people are motivated um, by change, uh, they like yep. change, and we also know that people are also motivated to um, stay the same. Mm. Um, and it's not those people don't want to change, it's that they take more convincing. Um, and, mm. and they've taken that, you know, they've taken that, you know, decision to, to, to stay that organisation probably because they see it as a safe place to be. So mm. they are probably less... They're not going to embrace change quite so much because they probably the reason why they joined that organisation was because they could see it was going to be fairly stable. And when change comes along, they're going to think, "Oh my God, this is not what I expected." Mm. Whereas someone that's maybe joined an organisation because it's a startup, it's exciting, and it's all changing, then they will almost be expecting it to change. So they would be a lot easier to manage, and they would be almost like embracing it. Oh yes, it's more change, more change, and that's that's fine by us, but. It really is comes back to the point of why somebody joined their organization uh, and their mindset as to, yeah. you know, am I here for change or am I here because I, I want stable, secure, uh, predictable um, future, uh, however long that future might be. My future, you know, in, in today's times is, is, is only sort of maybe two or three years, whereas, you know, Going back in time, it used to be you know twenty to thirty years. But you know times are changing, and the one thing that we can be assured of is that there's going to be change, and it's just how how we embrace it. And it, I, I guess, yeah, definitely. And I think you you can't always predict for yourself what your own position is going to be. You know, it depends on on where it hits you, sort of emotionally. Because we're all emotional creatures, aren't we? Sometimes yeah. you might find that actually you can really see a good reason for the change, and you're totally up for it. And other times you're really not. So it's being able to sort of assess where people are and not make them wrong, because that's that is their experience, and there's always a value um, or a strength in that experience. There's always something to learn from those people that they can offer you. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you yeah. know, if somebody is sort of steadfastly standing where they are, why is it? What is it they they hold? What kind of experience do they hold in that organisation? Perhaps they've been there for ten years and they've tried a few things that haven't worked. And you know, familiar with those sorts of voices or mm. been there before. But you know, what's the value in that? Could they could they test things out for you? Could they be the ones who you know really strength test things? You know, what could they do for you, those people, or what do they need to hear to be convinced? It's always mm. worth asking them and not just um, feeling frustrated by them. Yeah, I think every, every team needs people that are going to question and not just accept things that's that's, that's thrown at them, because yeah. otherwise, you know, you know, you're just going along almost like in a chaotic. Uh, fashion whereas you know if you've got people that are a bit more well hang on a minute let's let's think about this a bit and spend a bit more time thinking about it that will slow down the people that are you know going to change and uh, you know having a balance is really important I think and mm-hmm. I've seen lots of high change um um high growth teams that really need somebody there just to you know just to th- make them think a bit and you know sometimes it's my role as a coach just to say well hang on a minute I think you might want to think a bit more about this before you you start down that path so I I think it's really important to embrace everyone's point of view and get their you know get their point of view and not not um not disregard anybody 
because it, it, yeah. it's, it's a big mistake, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you can view it as useful, if you can find a way of making it useful, hmm. then then you'll be using that kind of collective intelligence of your team. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Good stuff. Excellent. So we are heading towards um, time running out on us. So I think um, it's a good time now just to sum up in maybe some three top tips we can leave our listeners with if they are in the middle of or or maybe even heading towards some change. Um, what, what would you see were the top three things that people should be taking into account? I think... Um First up, really know how you respond to change yourself and in particular this change because if you're going to lead it with integrity, which is what your staff want from you, um, then you're going to need to first up take care of yourself and your own needs and and know how you can find something in the change that you can believe in and talk to people about um, and do that really authentically. Um, also know where you need support and um, what helps you to maintain resilience because most changes are pretty tough on people. Um, and if you're the leader, then you need to look after yourself so you can really help take care of other people as well. So that would be my first tip. Mm-hmm. The second would be really know where your people are at and do not make any assumptions about where that is and really speak to them like we've been talking about, um, engage them in the change and find out how they're feeling about it. And the third would be to work with all the different types of people that you have in your organisation in the way that they can be most useful and contribute to the change, as we've been talking about. I think it's know that that the leapers and the change-friendly people have their strengths and also they can miss a lot, Um, that the path builders, um, the people that can really help to make change happen effectively, again, have their strengths and they can also lose motivation and to to really listen to those tradition holders and what value they can bring um, in helping to make a change effective um, and not sort of get caught out by the problems that you might do if you you sort of skip along gaily, (laughs) expecting (laughs) it all to work. Um, Those would be my three top tips. Brilliant stuff. Uh, it was something I'd, 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 I should, meant to mention, actually, that I, I, I picked up when I was Googling the subject. And it was, it's a simple thing to remember, actually. It's, it's consider your passengers. Mm. Uh, and I think as a, as a leader, you know, consider everybody that's in the, in the bus with you and make sure you're taking into everybody into account, which is um, probably what you've just said in three, you know, three top tips, really. Um, so, so thank you very much um, for your time today, Lisa. It's been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. And hopefully we'll get a chance again to talk about maybe another subject at some point. But for That'd now, be great. yeah. So um, for now, we'll say goodbye and um, um, see you again soon. Thanks, Mark. Really enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to leave a review. Don't forget to check out The Reluctant Leader Project at www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. Make a note to start, stop or continue doing whatever struck a chord in this episode. And until next time, be the best you can be.